You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. Hey, good morning, Radiant Church. So glad that you are with us this morning. If you're new with us, welcome. My name is Marco. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're watching online, thank you for watching. Make sure you comment, like, and share the stream. We're so glad that you are part of this community as well. Well, hey, quick announcement for all of you. Next week, Pastor Jeremy Brown from Radiant Ann Arbor will be with us here at Radiant Church. Pastor Jeremy Brown is one of our overseers here for Radiant Church. And this will be his first time with us, so we're super excited to have him. And I just want to encourage you, if you can, to be here in person. Um, We're going to have a great uh, Sunday next weekend, so make plans to join us then. Well, today we are in part number seven. This is it. We're concluding our series, the final part of our series, entitled Be Radiant. And in this series, we're talking about what does it mean to be radiant In other words, what are our core values? What are the things that we value that help determine the people that we're becoming and the culture here at Radiant Church? I'm going to go ahead and review those super quick for you. In week number one, we said that we are a word-centered church. The Bible is the word of God. That's what we believe it. Number two, we said we are a spirit-empowered church. We're empowered by the Spirit of God that lives within us and lives through us. Week number three, we said that we are a mission-focused church, that the mission of God is to seek and save the lost, and that's we should be all about the mission as well. Week number four, we said that we are a family-oriented church, and Andy and Sarah Shaper, this amazing couple here at our church, they were with us, and they talked about what does it mean to sort of have Christ just be first and foremost within your family, within your children, how to raise up a godly family. It was a great, great teaching that they did. Um, We talked about week number five. We are a servant-hearted church, that we're servants, that if you want to find significance in life, if you want to know what it means to be important, become a servant. Because why? Because that's what Jesus became for all of us. Of course, last week we talked about that we are a purposefully prayerful church, and we want to be a church that prays with a purpose on purpose. Why? Because a praying church, listen church, is a church that is ready, prepared for the return of Jesus. A praying church is equipped and trained and prepared for what? For the end time harvest or end time revival that I believe is on its way. I believe that we're, we're just on, in the midst of beginning right here and now. And so this morning, our final value is simply this core value. We are a generous church. We are a generous church. I want to talk about generosity this morning. I don't know if you knew this, but the heart of the Father, the heart of God is generosity. God loves to give good gifts. He is generous. He is very generous. We know what John 3.16 says. Everyone knows this verse. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He gave. That's right. He gave. You see, 
The love of God is never just simply mere sentiment, okay? It's, it's not just a, a cute little card that says, I love you. God's love is always manifested. It's always expressed in action towards his people, right? It's an action, and we see that displayed in the heart of God, in the love that God has for us in Jesus Christ. And uh, this morning, we're going to go to a passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 12. I want you to go ahead and find that if you have a smartphone or if you have a Bible. We're going to look at a story where there is a man that wants Jesus to settle this this family dispute. He's trying to get Jesus to, to settle a legal dispute, and Jesus won't have anything to do with it. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and Go to Luke chapter 12, and we're going to begin in verse number 13. I have the words behind me, so if you don't have a Bible with you, or if you need one, let us know, but we'll also have the words behind me. So let's begin in Luke 12, verse 13. Luke records this. Someone in the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Okay? Jesus, tell my brother, the Cadillac is mine, okay? Mom said I could have that, and I want it, okay? Jesus, tell my brother that half of that money is supposed to come to me. This is what's going on here in this scenario, just so you know. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out and be on your guard against all kinds of of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, well, what should I do? I I have no place to store my crops. And he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. You got all all kinds of Bitcoin. You got money in the bank, right? All kinds of good stuff. Take life easy. Chill. Eat. That was my, that's my translation, by the way. Sorry. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Wow. Sobering line. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Let's take a few moments. I want to just pray for us, and then we're going to dive into the rest of our message this morning. Let's just pray together for just a few moments, church. God, we love you. And um, as we sang earlier, Jesus, we can't get enough. We can't get enough of your presence, of your life, of your word. God, we want more. And so this morning, God, our prayer is that you might consume us, God. You might just consume us. Lord, I pray for those who maybe have had a hard week, God, and Would you encourage them, fill them with your courage, God? Guide them. Let them sense your love for them today. God, those who are hopeless among us, God, would you fill them with hope? God, those of us who maybe we came in with some fear, with some anxiety, there's a burden on our heart, God. Only you know what that burden is, God. 
But God, for those of us, God, would you just remove the burden, God, and give peace. Give peace to your people. Lord, would you unlock deaf ears, open blind eyes, soften our hearts, Lord. This is a touchy subject. This is a subject that, man, is close to so many of our hearts, God, including my own. And so, God, give me the grace that I needed to deliver a message that will likely challenge most of us, God. So, Spirit of God, this is your room. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. According to a 2009 Sports Illustrated article, it was reported that 78% of NFL players will reach bankruptcy or financial stress within two years of retirement. 78%. A similar study shows that 60% of all NBA players will be in the same boat within five years of their retirement. It's astonishing, right? Shocking numbers. What is going on here? Why are so many athletes coming to financial ruin after their careers? There are many reasons, but let me just give you a few that the article cited. Number one, poor financial literacy, right? Not, not knowing how to handle their money. Ill-chosen accountants. They just chose the wrong accountants to work for them. High-risk investing. Some of them, for, for some of the NBA athletes, or I should just say professional athletes, there was a gambling addiction, okay? So they gambled most of their money away. And so many of them just simply had cultures of lavish spending. You know what I mean? Just making it rain all day. You know what I mean? All this and much more, listen, have led to countless professional athletes bottoming out near the end or at the end of their career. Now, you might be thinking, okay, li listen, how is it possible that these men and women, they're making so much money, how is it possible that within a few years of when they retire, they're broke, they're busted, they're working at Starbucks or Target or whatever it is? I mean, they have like nothing to their name. How is it? In fact, you might even say to yourself, or if I were to ask you, you might say this, if I were there in, if I were in their shoes, Marco, I would, you can fill in the blank, right, whatever that might be, whatever the case that might be, whatever you would do. Now, the problem with that, though, is that we're not in their shoes, right? We're not in their shoes. And here's what I know about money, and my guess is that you also know this about money. A lot of us know this intuitively, okay? I think we really do. Here's what I know about money. Money is a magnifier. It's, a, it's like a magnifying glass, right? It's a magnifier. Money doesn't necessarily change you. Now, I know it can, of course, or more money. But it only magnifies, it truly magnifies what already is the condition of your heart. Money magnifies the character traits that already sort of identify you as a person. Let me give you a couple of examples. So if you're fearful, if you're just kind of a, a person who's, who's fearful or you're always worried, like, am I going to have enough? Like, I don't know if I'm going to have enough. Hey, you get some more money, you, more money comes in. It's likely that you might be the same way. Like, you'll continue to actually worry that you won't have enough, even though you have enough. You clearly have enough if you've 
got all kinds of money in your bank. If you're greedy, then the money just amplifies, magnifies our greed because we want more and more and more. You know, that's, that's all of us, if we can just confess that in this place today. If, if you're hungry for power, it only, it only magnifies. It like, it's like taking the magnifying glass and all of a sudden, boom, you can really see it. Everyone around you and your family and whatnot can see that you're just hungry for power. Why? Because money's a magnifier. It's not necessarily about how it changes you, but how it magnifies what's already going on in your heart. I did a little research of people who have won the lottery. Have you ever done this? This is hilarious, by the way. It's actually kind of sad. Let me, never mind. Um, not really hilarious. Most of them come to ruin, which is very, very unfortunate. Unfortunate. Uh, there was a man, a man named Jack Whitaker in the year 2002. He won the Powerball in West Virginia. His winnings, check this out, church, $314 million. Woo! What would you do with that amount of money? No, don't even think about that right now, okay? $314 million. At that point, listen, this was the largest jackpot ever won by a single ticket. Now, check this out. Jack was already in a pretty good spot in his life. He was um, a, a part of the construction industry, had a job, had a good job, money in the bank. I mean, he was, he was doing well for himself. And although he had the best of intentions, the money still led him to ruin. In fact, I read that Jack gave 10% of his earnings to churches and to charitable uh, organizations. He tithes off of what he won, and yet the amount of money just led to his ruin. Here's what happened in a nutshell. He fell into, he was quickly a victim of scandals, of lawsuits, personal setbacks. He, he constantly had people asking him for money. Right? People were just always knocking on his door. Hey, I need some money. Hey, hey, I lost my job. Can I get a few grand? Can I get this? Can I get that? It led him to a place where he didn't know who he could trust. He didn't know who he could trust. In fact, he couldn't trust anyone. He was often quoted as saying he wished he had torn the ticket that won him his millions. Wow. We know that there are many, many dangers of great wealth. But let me just say this for the record. Let's just say this. That there are incredible benefits to having money. There are so many good things that you can do. I mean, a million good things that you can do with a lot of money, okay? It can be incredibly effective for helping to solve world problems and to help uh, bring people into prosperity and, and, again, do all sorts of good in our world. But we also know that there are pitfalls, of course, that money can lead us to. And this morning, what I want to do is, is I, I want to talk about generosity. But here's how I want to do it. Before we can talk about generosity... We need, to talk, we need to talk about the pitfalls of great wealth, okay? We need to understand the pitfalls of great wealth. Because I'm convinced of this, and it doesn't matter how much money you make. If you make $5,000 a year or if you make $500,000 a year, it doesn't, that's, like, let's just take that out of the equation because it doesn't matter how much you make, okay? I'm convinced, though, when it comes to generosity, there are two factors that affect every single one of us, two questions that we must 
Ask and answer. And the first question is this, is who do we ultimately trust? Who do we ultimately trust? And number two, what is the condition of our hearts? Well, we can say it more spiritually like this. We can say, who is on the throne of our hearts? Two questions, right? Who do we ultimately trust? What is the condition of our heart? Or who's on the throne of our heart? And that's what I want to look at today, this morning. I want to go back to this story that we read from Luke chapter 12, and I want to begin to answer those two questions and then apply them to our lives. And what we see here is this anonymous man comes in. Jesus, hey, I want you to settle this inheritance issue. Like I said before, hey, the, he said the Cadillac was mine. Okay, the Cadillac's mine. He can have the Volkswagen. That's his. But the Cadillac was mine, and that much money, that $100,000, whatever it is, Jesus, that belongs to me, okay? That's written up in the contract. Can you make sure and tell him that so I can get what's due to me? Now, here's what you need to understand about this first century context here in the midst of Israel is that Jesus was known as a teacher. We all know that, right? And as a teacher, you became a member or a part of a class which both dealt with religious and civic matters. So if you were a teacher, there's no surprise. It was no surprise that people wanted you to settle legal disputes or civic disputes. They wanted you to settle maybe an argument within the family or conflict within the family. They would call upon a rabbi to help bring reconciliation or peace. So this is no surprise that this stranger wants Jesus to intervene with who gets the caddy and who doesn't, right? But Jesus won't have anything to do with it, which I think is really fascinating. He's unwilling to step in between these two brothers. And while Jesus doesn't make a legal judgment, because he doesn't, what we see Jesus doing is making a moral judgment. Right? What does Jesus say? He says, be on guard. Be on guard. Watch out against all kinds of greed. Can I just tell you there's all kinds of greed out there, right? There's all kinds of greed, right? Because why? Because life isn't just about the things that you own. It's not just about the stuff that you have, right? In other words, your life is more important than the stuff that you have at home. Your life is more important than the car that you drive. Even though I like a nice car, you like a nice car. Hey, we can agree on that. It's okay. Let's just all agree upon that, all right? Life is more important than name brand clothing. I, I, you like it. I like it too. I get it. Let's just agree upon that. Life is more important uh, than the toys that you have, right? The campers, the ATVs, whatever you have at home, whatever your thing is. I don't know what your thing is. Everyone's got a thing, okay? Maybe it's shoes for you. You got 50 pairs of shoes. Maybe it's hats. You got like 100 pairs of hats. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's boots. Whatever your thing is, everyone's got a thing, okay? Life is more important than that. Life is more important than the technology that you own, like the iPads and the computers and the video cameras and the, you know, whatever it is technology-wise that you love to buy, that you love to get. Life is more. Jesus is saying life is more than just about those things, and you got a thing. I got a thing. We all got a thing. Now, I want to pause here for just a few moments, okay? This is just, just a few moments, okay? Why? Because this is the exact opposite message that we hear from, like, from the world around us, 
from Western culture. I mean, Western culture, guys, let's just admit it. It's highly consumeristic. I mean, it is highly consumeristic. Get this. Get that. Your life won't be great. Your life will only be great if you buy this. If you can just get this. Hey, when you own this, you'll be happier. If you get this, you're going to be somebody. If you have this in your possession, all of your friends are going to think you're awesome, right? And so we may not want to be rich, but it sure is nice if we could just appear like we have some stuff, right? Why? Because, again, sometimes we want the praise of people. Sometimes we just want the praises of man. Right? Did you, did you see that post on Facebook? The brand new car? Oh, yeah, I saw that too. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I like that too, right? We post it for a reason. Come on, someone, right? We want the likes. We want the praises of men. We want to feel significant. We want to feel like we're important in the eyes of other people. And it's so easy for us to just, all of us, you guys, come on, this, is, this hits home for so many of us. It's so easy for us to buy into the lie. The more stuff that we have, the more important I am. The more things I have in my possession, right, the happier I'll be. It's so easy for us to buy into that lie. And Jesus is just reminding us, hey, let me just remind you, your life is not about your stuff. It's just, it's not about the stuff that you have. Because when you live for stuff, here's what's bound to happen. It's bound to happen that you will become dissatisfied with life. Because naturally, guess what? You and I, we always want more. Can, can somebody say an amen to help me out here? Okay, a couple of amens. I'm just kind of feeling like it's really quiet this morning. I need your help. Naturally, you and I always want more. Amen. Okay. <laughs> feeling like I'm pulling the rope a little bit. We'll get there. So Jesus wants to drive his point home. So what does he do? He tells a story. The master storyteller tells a parable, right? And he tells it of this farmer. This farmer has overcome all odds. And what? He has gained or he's got all kinds of crops now that he has, all sorts of grain. And now what is he supposed to do with it? I mean, how is he supposed to prevent it from rotting or going bad? What is he supposed to do with it until it's time for him to sell it or to use it? What's the solution? So he thinks to himself, well, I know what I'll do. Build bigger barns. Right? You know what that means? Modern day 2021, Michigan, Bay City, Michigan. Let me translate that for you. It means this. I'll rent a storage unit downtown. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? The ones with the garage, like, right? You lift it up, and you, and you look in there, and you're like, ooh, all the stuff that I no longer use. <laughs> and you even get your, I mean, you can even buy a lock for that stuff. Isn't that awesome? You just Oh, yeah, the lamp, and remember that bed, that not, yeah, the sofa that I don't, I, I, I get it. Some of us, maybe you're in transition, so you need the storage. It's all good. It's all good. No judgment. I get it. But I think that's a translation of how we would translate that for us today. Build bigger barns, right? There's a place for us to store that. But I want you to notice in verse 19, we're beginning to see where this man puts his trust in. Look at verse 19. It'll be on the screen. He says this, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty. It's all good. I got a lot. I'm good. Boy, I invested in the right stock. I got the Bitcoin over here. I got this investment. I'm right. Whatever it is, right? I've got this much money here. I've got seven bank accounts. I got seven streams of income because I'm a hustler. You know what I'm saying? I got it, Pastor Marco. I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain. You have plenty 
of green. You have plenty of money, whatever it is. So laid up for many years, by the way. So as a result of that, listen, take life easy, right? Just It's okay. Just eat, drink, be merry. Just do it up. Lavish meals, charcuterie every night, right? Amen, someone said, right? Drink only the best of alcohol or whatever it is for you. Craft beer or Kool-Aid. I don't know whatever it is for you. Vago. I don't know. Be merry. Like, woo, come on. Let's celebrate. Celebrate. Good time. Come on. Boom, 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 boom. All right. That was free. I had to wake you up. Seriously, that's, that's the only reason I did that. I can't just believe it. And I did that on video, too. Shoot. <clears throat> so here's the answer to the first question. Who is he trusting? <laughs> it's clear from the text that this man is trusting what? In the amount of grain that he has, right? In the amount of grain that he has. He says, look at my barns are full, and I have plenty of grain to go around. It's going to last me for years, and so therefore I can just take life easy. He looks at his future and says, you know what? You know what I see ahead? I see smooth sailing ahead. Smooth sailing. Why? Because I have plenty. I'm good. And here's what happens with, with, with this man. Here's the temptation for all of us. We, we fall into this trap, and it's this. We, we believe that money or possessions, listen, they, they end up promising us things that only God can do himself which is to take care of us and to meet all of our needs. All right? Can I just tell you, we all do this. It doesn't matter if you have $7 in your bank account or if you have $70,000 in your bank account. All of us. This is the trap that we're, we've got to watch out for. Jesus says, listen, the trap is there. Be warned. We're all susceptible to believing that money will take care of all of my needs and sustain me and give me the life that I desire. I know this is true, and I get it because, listen, the reality is, I think we can, we can admit this, that the more that you have in your bank, the more secure you feel, right? I mean, come on, we, could just, we, could, we, we, we get that. As Americans, we understand this. The more we have in the bank, the more secure that we feel because we feel, again, like that will take care of us, like that is the one who gives to us. But let me, let me juxtapose this with something the half-brother of Jesus said in the book of James. James says this, James 1.17. I want you to look at this verse behind me. Okay, look at it carefully. <clears throat> James says this, every good, pay attention church, every good and perfect gift comes from the government. It doesn't say that? Shoot. Okay. Um, I only had a half cup of coffee. I'm sorry for that, you guys. I apologize. Okay, let's read it again. Every good and perfect gift is from my bank account. Every good and perfect gift, here's what it says, is from where? Can you just say it out loud? Above. Yeah, above. Yeah, that's right. Above. Above. Not, not below. Ab above. Not below, but Above. And it comes down, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, 
who does not change like shifting shadows. He's the unchangeable God. Every good and perfect gift is from above. So maybe you drive a nice car. I'm not, I'm not hating on you. I'm not a hater. Good on you. Like, that's cool. Like, let me, let me ride in that car if you don't mind, right? Pick me up sometime, for real, though, for real. Um, if you have nice stuff, like, that's great. Listen, but just recognize that it comes from above. Does that make sense? Can we get an amen there? Right? Where, where does your good gifts come from? It comes from above, church. It comes from above. Because if we're not careful, we'll come to believe that every good gift comes from how hard we worked. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I just hustled. I worked hard. I got this many followers on Instagram now. Oh, I'm on TikTok. Things are looking good for me. Did you see my TikTok dance video, by the way? Right? Whatever it is. We're convinced, or we can't convince ourselves that the good things that we have are a result of how smart we are. I am just so smart. I invested in face masks. I'm sorry. I couldn't help it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, let's move on. I might get in trouble for that one. I invested where I should have invested, and because of that, I mean, look at what I've done for my family. Look at what, look what we have now. We have a, a, a two new vehicles, and now we're able to do this, and now we're able to do that. Why? Because I've, I'm so smart. I'm a pretty, I understand investing. I, I get it. And maybe God has given me something. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I believe that, of course. But really, it's about me. I'm the one who, who did that, right? And the scripture tells us every good and perfect gift comes from above. And here's the idea, church. If God is the one who meets our needs, then it is God who we should trust, right? It's God who we should trust. This is just meeting us on a very practical level this morning. Now, I want you to notice here, we're going to go look at verse 20 in just a second, but I want you to notice that, that the story takes a bit of a shift, all right? It takes a bit of a shift. Here's what it says, but God said to him, this is God, this is amazing, isn't it? The Lord speaking. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. You're going to die tonight. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? In other words, you have invested all of this time, all of this energy. And yeah, that's great that you have the newer vehicles and you have the extra stuff. And, and, and that's awesome. But listen, now what are you going to do? Now what are you going to do because your life is being demanded of you Tonight, this is bad news. This is not, let me just say this this morning, this is not an exceptional case. This applies to anyone who trusts in riches, okay? And again, let me just say this again, and I'll repeat myself a few more times. It doesn't matter because maybe you only have $7 in your bank account. Whether you have $7 in your bank account or 70000 in your bank account, it does not matter. Let me just let me, I want you to hear that over and over because some of you are like, yeah, but pastor, I'm not, I don't have that much. And I've just lived paycheck to paycheck. And I don't have a Ferrari or a Tesla or a Cadillac. I don't have that. So, I mean, it's cool. I appreciate your heart and that's all. It's, it's nice. It's a nice sentiment. But this doesn't apply to me this morning, Pastor Marco. And I would say, yes, it does. Because all of us are acceptable to do this. We're all susceptible. Jesus, listen, we're all susceptible. And or, or, rather, let me say this. Jesus is trying to say to each of us this morning, you cannot trust in wealth to save you or sustain you. 
Jesus offers the alternative. Look at verse 21 with me. He says this, This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. It's sobering. Leave that verse up there if you wouldn't mind for just a few seconds. This is how it will be with those, with whoever stores up things for themselves, whether you have $5 in the bank account or $50 million in the bank account, for themselves, but is not rich toward God, right? In other words, don't try to be rich in the bank. Don't try to be rich by filling your barns. Our efforts should be that we might what? Be rich in our relationship with God. That we might be rich, that we might cultivate this relationship with God. And I know this is so difficult in the consumeristic driven culture that we're totally immersed because none of us live in a vacuum, right? And we, we, none of us live in a vacuum. So God has called us to be salt and light in the midst of darkness, in the middle of what? A culture that tells us you're not happy unless you have this or that, okay? All right? So the idea is, Jesus is telling us here, listen, or let me just say this rather. For the record, possessions aren't a bad thing. Again, possessions aren't a bad thing. You have a good car, nice car, a nice home. I'm, I'm excited for you. I'm happy for you. That is the Lord's blessing. It's the Lord that, who's given you that. Again, recognize that. It is the Lord who has given you those nice things. Praise God for those things. Praise God that he has richly provided for you no matter what you have, right? But when possessions, listen, become our focus at the expense of our relationship with God, then they become a dangerous thing. Warren Rearsby, he is, um, he's now dead. He's passed. He was a famous um, Bible commentator, uh, Bible teacher and scholar. He had a PhD. He says this, or he said this, people who are satisfied only with the things that money can buy are in great danger of losing the things that money cannot buy. Wow. Warren Wiersbe said this, right? The moral of the story is this. It is eternally dangerous to store up treasures for oneself, but not develop a relationship with God and show love for him in the use of your riches. You see what I'm saying? It's not bad to have stuff. But when you do, when you have the stuff and the stuff has you and you do so and you pursue those things at the expense of your relationship with God and you don't express your love for him in the use of your riches, those things now have your heart. Those things have become dangerous for you. They become dangerous for you. And let me just say it again. It's not about how much you make. It's not about how much you make, this answers the second question, what is the condition of our hearts? Or for this person, what is the condition of his heart? And I would say this, I would answer it this way, this man's heart was, was full of greed, but not full of God. Full of greed, but not full of God. Again, possessions aren't a bad thing. You have good stuff, nice stuff, praise the Lord for that. Be grateful. Honor the Lord with what he's given you. Put him first no matter what. No matter what. Honor him. But listen, don't let your possessions take possess of you, possession of you. Who do you ultimately trust? 
And who is on the throne of your heart this morning? Let me, let me ask you that question. Who's on the throne of your heart this morning? Here's what I want to say, you guys. This is, what I, this is what I truly want you to hear this morning, and it's simply this. Generosity is far less about how much you have and far more about what's in your heart. Can I just say that this morning? Generosity is far less about how much you have. This is what I've realized with different people. Because some people who have a lot don't give crap to anyone. Oops, oops I messed up. That. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, well, whatever. I said it. And some people, right, who have little are the most generous people I've ever met in my life. It doesn't matter how much you make. Because generosity is not about what you have. It's about what's in your heart, right? It's about what's in your heart. And let me just say this for some of you. Listen, can I just say this? You have way more than you realize. You have so much more than you realize. That's that's the reality of this situation. And so listen, if you're here this morning and your attitude towards generosity, towards giving to God, maybe, maybe like giving the tithe, the tenth, the, the 10%, giving that to God's house, or just giving to other people, giving to other needs in your community, giving to those, maybe you know you have friends that are in need. However that generosity comes out to play in your life, if your attitude has always been, well, you know what, why, why, can't, why can't he just get a job? Or, or you know what, why, why is it that they always need money? Or you know what, why is the church asking for money again? The church just wants my money. If your attitude is like that, if your attitude has been like that for many years, can I, can I, just, can I just implore you to please go home and ask yourself and answer, your, answer these two questions? Who are you ultimately trusting and who is on the throne of your heart? Who's on the throne of your heart? Because it's not about how much you have. If your attitude is in the wrong place, you need to go home and ask yourself and answer these two questions. Why? Why should I do this, Pastor Marco? Why? Because God is a generous giver, and he's trying to teach us to do the same thing. That's it. God is generous. He's a generous father. He's trying to teach you. And some of you, let me just say this lovingly, are robbing God. You're just robbing him. And there's no reason for it. That's not honoring to God. Some of you, it's, it's, that's, that's not it. It's, it's, it's other areas that you lack generosity. Therefore, listen, maybe it's you're ultimately trusting in something else. I don't know what that is for you. And I know. This makes all everyone feel uncomfortable. You can thank me later for it, all right? Because it doesn't matter how much you make. Hey, I'm just trying to save. Like, I'm just trying to, you know, uh, you know you're, you're being a cheapskate maybe. Listen, that is not, can I just say that's not honoring to God. That's just being cheap. That's what it is. It's dishonoring. So this morning, wherever you're at, listen, I want, I want you to understand and answer and ask and answer these two questions. Who do I trust Who's on the throne of my heart? Did you know this, that if you make $35,000 a year, and I'm talking about your household, maybe you and your spouse, maybe you're here and you're just starting out, you're a young couple, and that's about what you're making right now, 32, maybe 35,000, combined income, I'm talking combined, 
Can I just say that you are richer than 90% of the world? 90% of the world. And did you know that your income is 7.3 times the global median? Marco, I make less than that. Okay, you make less than that. You're probably still richer than most of the world. And here's what Paul writes to Timothy. He says this, 1 Timothy 6, 17, command those who are rich. And by the way, stop looking around the room and pointing fingers at someone else because it's you, it's me. In this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, by the way, right? It, it comes and goes. But to put their hope in God, who what? Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Who provides for us? It's God. It's God. And so this morning, so many of you are generous. And I, th- I just want to say, this is not a message of condemnation. This is not a message of condemnation. But, let me, but it, this is a warning. If you're robbing God, cut it out. Stop it. It's not attractive. It's not cute. It's not sexy. You're disobeying God. Straight out. And maybe that's only one of you in here. I don't know. But if you're not giving and you have plenty, there needs to be something that changes in your heart. You know, it's it's an issue of your heart. 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 It's not how much you have. It's an issue of your heart. Your heart is in the wrong place. Your heart is in the wrong place. You know what? Next next month, hopefully, this we don't I don't have all the details yet, but let me just give you a sneak preview. Hopefully next month we're going to partner with River Jordan. Okay, I've been talking to um, uh, the head of River Jordan. It's um, adoption, no, um, foster care um, facility, facilitates foster care in our community. There's great need in that area. Hopefully, we're working on it right now. We're going to partner with them for Thanksgiving meals, both financially, both with our time, our treasures, our, 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 our resources. We're going we're gonna to partner with them, and we're going to be generous with them, and I want all of you to contribute. I want all of you to be a part of that, right? But if your heart's not there, no thanks. I'm good, Marco. I'm, I'm good, right? And I want us to become a generous church, a generous church. Why? Because God is a generous giver. He is so good at giving us good gifts, and he wants to teach his people how to do the same thing, how to do the same thing. If you're here and you're part of my prayer team, would you come on up? You know who you are. Come on up right now. I, I want to invite you up to pray. And, um, and I'm going to close here in just a few seconds. But if you're needing prayer for anything, we want to partner with you in prayer. If you're discouraged, if you found out a bad report from the doctor, if you have uncertainty, um, maybe you're nervous or, or just anxious about something in your life, can we just pray with you? We, we, we want to come alongside of you and we have these three amazing couples um, who love the church, who love God's people, who want to bless you and come alongside of you, who want to fill you with faith. And we would love to partner with you in prayer. We're going to do that today. Before we do that, though, let's close in prayer. Let's ask God to just stir our hearts for him this morning. Let's pray. God, we love you. And God, thank you. This is not meant to be a message of condemnation, Lord. And I hope that Uh, None of us have heard it that way. But this is a message that should stir our hearts, Lord. It should stir our hearts to being generous with you, God. God, God, would you just, God, we just thank you right now, right now. We thank you because no matter where we're at, Lord, God, you've been good to us. God, as I think about my marriage with my wife, Carrie, and just looking back 10 years, God, you've been so faithful to me and Carrie, God. 
when we didn't know what we were going to do next, when we didn't know what the future held for us, when we were scraping by, God, I can't even begin to explain how faithful you've been to my wife and to my family and I. Lord, you are so good. God, would you help all of us to see that in our own individual marriages, in our own individual lives, whether we make $5,000 a year or 100000 a year, God, God would, you, would you show us how good you've been? God, give us a glimpse of your goodness. God, show us that job that we have right now, it wasn't because we're so smart. And it, was, it wasn't because we went to that prestigious school. It was because you gave it, God. You gave it, God. You opened up the door for us, God. You gave us that education. God, you helped us to build our business. God, you, you helped us to find that job when no one else could find the job. God, you gave us the intellect. God, you gave us a brilliant mind. God, every good and perfect gift comes from you, God, and we just acknowledge that right now, God, in the midst of your presence, in the midst of God's people. God, we acknowledge every good and perfect gift comes from you. God, the SUV. God, the Cadillac. God, the nice home. God, the riches. God, God, the clothes. God, the hundred pair of shoes we have. God, every good and perfect gift is from your hand, God, and we didn't have anything to do with it. You gave it to us. You are generous, God. And God, so convict us for those who need convict us. Challenge us for those who need challenge God. God, may we just become a generous church, God. And Lord, may we generously give back next month with our Thanksgiving outreach as we help to partner with River Jordan and their needs that they have there, God. May you stir our hearts, God, to be generous there as a church as well, God. We love you, Lord. We thank you for those good gifts, God. Turn our hearts towards you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, let's go ahead and clap our hands for the work that God is doing.